Hello, I'm Ricky. And I'm Joe, and this is Season 6, Episode 1 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast. Uh, we're coming out on 7th, 2023, with our first episode of Season 6. And we're just going to jump right into it, talking about some beers, talking about some chat GPT, and maybe talking about some Steam Deck stuff. So um, we can just jump right into Santa's Little Helper. Now, this is a beer that I brewed for Christmas. Um, and uh, Ricky just happened to still have his, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. But um, it is a winter warmer holiday ill. Uh, it is a beer that was a beer kit from Boom Chug Lug, um, which uh, I got. And then Venus, my wife, uh, made uh, the little label that goes on it, which looks super awesome. It's one of my favorite things, kind of minimalistic. Uh, but it's 6.8% NDV, and uh, I think that's me talking about it long enough for you to have tried a little bit. Yeah, I've tried right? like half a bottle. This is really good. Who makes this kit, yeah. you said? Uh, Boom Chugalug, the same people that make the um, the uh, Old Nipper Cracker and the um, the beer kit that I got with the Thunder Cookie Gingerbread Stout. Gotcha, gotcha. They also make this. Yeah. This is really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they knocked it out of the park just with the recipe, and you did a great job brewing it. Like no off flavors, very well carbonated. I mean, this is this is very delightful. The only thing that uh, I don't like about this is something's up with the proteins of all the ones that I brewed this year. Mm-hmm. Um, the foam, uh, the the head doesn't stay for very long. Um, but so you had options to put different flavoring in this, and. We got a um, like a, uh, what Scotch candy? Um, okay, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got a butterscotch flavoring to go in it because I thought that would go well with the um, the flavors that it was already supposed to have, like some caramel notes and some, mm-hmm. some ale notes that are supposed to go with it. So it's kind of a butterscotch caramel um, ale, but it's supposed to be a you know like a winter ale, so it's a little bit. Higher ABV, about 6.8% ABV. Um, yeah, overall, pretty good. And it wasn't hard to make. You know, it comes in, you can either get a grain kit or a um, uh, uh, an extract kit. I got the extract kit. Extract kits make a mess, but they're very easy to brew with. So I just keep doing that. Always fun. Um, gotcha. Is there anything yeah, else that you're getting out of it? Okay. No, the, the big thing was that, that sweetness for it. And I was going to talk about that. So you like you already mentioned it's that that kind of butterscotch caramel candy, uh, which fits. I was really going back and forth like I know this is like a darker sweetness, but I couldn't tell if it was caramel or it was like maple syrup because it does have that kind of like floralness to it as well. Yep, and it's got like a little bit of a like bergamot sweet tea, like southern tea kind of flavor mm-hmm. to it, uh, which is really interesting. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's one of the more complex beers that I made this year, I think. Pretty fun. So let's talk about um, let's talk about ChatGPT and your thoughts on ChatGPT. So have have you um gotten involved with ChatGPT? Done anything with it? Messed around with it at all? Done anything? Like I certainly it? have messed around with it. I won't say I've done anything extreme with it. I've done no projects based off of it. Anything like that. But I have over the last month or two, like played around with a lot and had a lot of chats with it, tried to do a lot of different things with it to see how well it it kept up with certain asks. Because 
I'm more of looking at ChatGPT as less of a development tool and more of like a, I don't want to say like a personal assistant, but more of like a, a cultivated knowledge expedition. Like instead of me having to figure out through a bunch of Google searches something, can I more quickly extract that information from ChatGPT? Yeah. I get, I get you. Uh, it's, it's a weird thing that chat GPT does, right? Uh, mm-hmm. It gives you a lot of information. It very confidently tells you that information uh, as if it's right. Um, but it also is like one of those tools that you could use in your tool belt to be able to have something that uh, is able to communicate with someone in a very natural language way. It understands mm-hmm. what they're saying and can respond back to them which I think is for most of the value of ChatGPT or Bing's search, which is powered by ChatGPT uh, now works and, and where it can do a lot of good stuff. Um, it's interesting the restrictions they put on it. I've, I've played around with it and tried to get it to do some things that it's not supposed to, which, you know, you can have various levels of, of um, success with that. Uh, but for the most part, if you just, you know, start going in and try to get it to like, you know, make something or write something for you that it would violate its like, you know, terms of service or something with the mm-hmm. Bing version of Chat GPT, it'll just stop. It won't do it. Uh, but if you do it with the uh, Chat GPT version, it kind of gets in this recursive loop where it just goes like round and round and round and never like really fulfills the request that you had for it. I also asked it some things like, Hey, if I if I wanted to write a set of test questions based off of the um, instructions for the let's say the um, you know uh, CCNA or something like that, mm-hmm. it kind of will spit out some information like that. But you really have to prep it with the material that you want it to. You almost have to like yeah. give it like here's a paragraph. If I give you this paragraph, can you give me ten test questions that would be able to um, test a student's knowledge, you know, of, of this thing or something like that, which makes it kind of less valuable if you're trying to do something where you just ask it to do something. It's almost like you have to give it all the information and then it might be able to do something at that point in time. Yeah, I, I kind of had those same experiences. I've really struggled to get it to do anything complex without doing a lot of training on it previously. So like some things that I've tried to do with it that didn't really work out. I tried to get it to run a quick little like D&D encounter with me for which it did give me like fantasy setups, but it didn't, it couldn't really do something like I don't want to play Dungeons and Dragons 5e. You know, it didn't have a, a firm enough grasp on that rule set to play an action game but you could go on like hey let's uh go on a fantasy adventure and just like talk your way through it sort of stuff once you take out the game mechanics you know i tried to get it to um oh i tried one little fun thing where i was also playing around with the like image ai stuff and i tried to get chat gpt to give me the prompts to generate a picture in another ai tool and that didn't really work oh, out like very well yeah, yeah i don't which one i was using that'd be crazy yeah, yeah, it didn't really work. I, I, side conversation. That image stuff never really worked out for me. Even when I, I was trying to get it to make a picture of Plunk to use for um, 
the game and for the people in here plonk some of the characters I'm playing in one of our D&D setups. Uh, it never really got there. I mean, it gave me some very cursed images um, when it <laughs> saw what a goblin looked like. Um, but, you know, those complex things didn't work out very well. But what I have had some success with on it is trying to do things like cooking, things that, like, if I did a couple of Google searches, I could find out myself. It's like I've got a little yep. chat here saved. I haven't tried the most recent rendition. But, you know, I'm trying to eat less sugar, and I really like to make, like, pulled pork and things. So it's like, man, there's a lot of sugar in that once you get down to there's sugar in the rub and then there's sugar in the sauce. So it's like, right. get, let's just start with the rub. Give me a sugar-free barbecue rub. And I, I have a lot of Latin spices in my house because my wife does a lot of Puerto Rican cooking. So it's like, and give it, like, a Latin flavor. And it did. It chucked me out a barbecue recipe that has a lot of you know Latin spices in it with no sugar in it. And I mm. went and I tried that. And I was like, oh, I'm missing some stuff. Okay, can you swap this out for that? Oh, you want coriander in there? I don't like coriander. Can you put something else in there? And like we we went through like four or five renditions, and I haven't tried the most recent one, but it was getting pretty good. I mean, like mm. even to the extent that um, I was pretty happy with the rub. I haven't tried the latest changes, but then in the same chat, I said, okay, now take that barbecue rub that you just made me and make me a barbecue sauce that would go with it. And now I haven't, yeah. I haven't made the sauce yet, but you know, little things like that, where it's like, I don't know what you can substitute, you know, celery salt for in a recipe. Now I could look it up a hundred percent, but I could also just type to chat GPT. Hey, substitute that with something else and see where it is. Yeah. So I'm and see, and see what it decides to do. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I'm trying to leverage it. Because I think, um, obviously, ChatGPT has a very good reputation, but I also think people are thinking about it too grand. You know, um, I don't think ChatGPT is going to start replacing personal assistants and IT people and like content creators and all that stuff. Because you can look at a finished product and say, hey, look at this thing it did. Just like with that AI generation, right? Like there's some great AI generated pictures. But as soon as you start doing it yourself, you're like, ooh, now wait a minute. That picture, yeah. that took some time. Now, maybe it didn't take yeah. as long to do as like someone drawing it from scratch, but somebody really had to know what they were doing and cultivate a lot of images to get something that looked well, that good. So so on, on that note, uh, I've played around with Midjourney and uh, some of the other um, you know AI-generating art stuff, and I've been able to create a couple of things, but also know the terms to use to be able to ask for that because I have a background in graphic art and design so I can say hey I want something in this style with this sort of thing give it to me so that it looks like it's been drawn with pointillism instead of uh, oil paintings and you know I want this sort of composition and then it'll spit something out right where mm -hmm. you have to be you have to kind of have an education in that to be able to ask for the, ask the right questions it's like yeah, um, exactly you know, yeah yeah exactly uh so so the 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 thing with something like um you know mid journey chat gpt anything like that you really have to ask the right questions or give it the right information in order for it to give you something back out uh that's of any value really and i, I think i think it's a valuable tool 
one of the questions that I ask in the notes is, are developers going to be replaced or is IT going to be replaced? And I know you already answered that question. No, they're probably not going to be replaced by this. But I think there are a lot of people out there that are looking at these tools, just like automation uh, gets looked at, to be able to replace staff. I don't want to be to do anything where I have to pay someone to do this thing or I want to use it as a cost-saving thing. So there's someone out there that's got this idea. I've heard people talk about it. I've heard people, I've seen people write blog articles about it. Some stuff that's like directed at executives and other people like that. And I've even heard people like trying to monetize it in ways where they'll ask it to write a book and then they'll, you know, put that up on Amazon and things like that. All those things are probably not the right way to view something like this. Well, automation is not really made with the intent of cutting out staff normally. Automation is made with the intent of being able to simplify a process. Now that could lead you to have a lower headcount if that means that you don't have to have as many people on the assembly line to do something or something like that. But that's probably not the right way to look at whatever you're doing with an automation. In much the same way, something like ChatGPT, which isn't really like uh, intelligence like we think of intelligence, like when we're talking about like um, sitting around talking to one another or responding to something. It's more like it it does have like some sort of neural net uh, that's there that can process information, but it's taking a large collection of data and being able to understand a prompt and then respond to that, right? Uh, it's not quite the same as it just like thinking up something or being creative. So if you want it to be creative to write something, write a story, to be able to write sheet music, to come up with a recipe, you have to give it the right sort of information to be able to do that back for you. So you've got to say, hey, I like you said, I want to write um, a recipe that would be able to allow me to make barbecue sauce without sugar in it. So omit sugar as a as an ingredient, but it still needs to be sweet. So how would I be able to do that? And then it can take all of its database of knowledge about recipes and like correlate that down to, well, if you want to replace sugar with something, then you can use these five ingredients. That's really where something like ChatGPT shines, especially in like a, a search space, like you had said, you know, Bing, Google, anything like that could really enhance their ability to search for something because then you could say, hey, I'm looking for this thing, this particular thing, can you give me 15 things that are related to this thing? And it will give that back to you, right? Yeah. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head earlier with the secret sauce to JatGPT is really just a language interfacing. It speaks to you very well. Like it can take that information that it's run through in the background and present it in a way that feels very natural. And I think that tricks people into thinking there's a lot more going on with it than there is. Because, right. you know, on, on that developer note, you know, we, I did play around with like, can you generate code that does X? Can you generate code that does Y? And it doesn't always make code that works, but it does do a decent job in the sense that the code it shoots out to you generally does run. So it might not do right. what it's supposed to do, but it doesn't have massive errors in it. So, like, it can be a good tool set. But you couldn't be able to tell it, hey, I've got 
X problem that I'm looking to solve with software, write me something that solves that problem. It's not, as you said, it's not intelligent. It's just searching through documentation to be like, here's what, you know, Python or C++, their official documentation sites say you do something. So at a certain point, yeah, if you can break it down method by method, you could get a working piece of software. But just like how you were had so much more success generating images than I did because you knew all the steps and what to ask for and I didn't, you still at least need developers to be able to say, okay, the actual way you would solve this problem is by doing A, B, C, and D. So, you right. know, hey, ChatGPT, make me A. Okay. A worked. I need to make some adjustments. Perfect. Okay, give me B. No, B's not right. Think about it again this way. You know, go back and forth, get something that's B. So it might save me some time typing on a keyboard, you know, but you still need somebody that's going to be able to put that software together and know how it's all supposed to connect together to get the solution. Now, let's suppose that a developer, like, say, maybe they had some sort of crippling disease that kept them from being able to type. Could ChatGPT be used to massage out something as, like, an assistive tool for you know, disabled people? I actually think, to a certain degree, it probably can. Because I think that's my thing with ChatGPT as a development tool, is, like, all it's really doing is saving you time typing out like something that's very common when you need like right. really customized like non-standard stuff it all falls apart but i'm sitting here thinking about okay you know you could be somebody maybe you're not a day-to-day -day developer anymore maybe you're doing architecture maybe you're doing design and this would be a really good way to type up pseudocode a really great way to do documentation, you know, get your doc strings put together yeah. and stuff like that. You know, I well, definitely see it. Asks. Yeah. yeah, it can definitely be a tool in the tool belt. It's just not the handyman, you know? Right, right. So here's another thing. Is it ethical to use AI services like ChatGPT to write, say, like a book and then say you wrote it? Uh, or do you think that there needs to be some disclosure there um, that you used it? I think the book, definitely. I know there was some controversy that came out about a children's book a couple months ago, but it wasn't the, the chat stuff. So like a person wrote the text, but the book was about like writing a book with the help of an AI and they used the image generation stuff to make all the images. And the image one, I'll say at least, you know, you are really having to, with your prompting, paint a picture, especially at the point that you want all your pictures and your like 30 page picture book to have the same style and align and reuse locations and, and stuff like that. So like, I can give that a little bit more. All right. You put in a lot of time and effort to generate this picture, not too much differently than you would if you had like commissioned an artist to do it for you. It's just cheaper, right. and there's the moral aspect of that, that, you know, you remove a worker out of the equation. The illustrator is a machine that you're prompting and not a person who you're, you know, asking for particular sets pieces of. But if you're actually like, hey, go write me the text for my adventure story, one, I'm not sure it'd be very good because I tried that with a D&D campaign. It was okay right, at right. best. <laughs> but if you could, yeah, I'd, I don't know. I'd push back on that more because something about that 
where it's like it just typed the text and how much easier it is to get a quality reading piece of text as opposed to an image. That's hypocritical, but that doesn't feel right to me. Because you can get ChatGPT to toss out like perfectly formed paragraphs and things like that, like all 100% grammatically correct. You know, right. there's no tin fingers on the goblin of, you know, write me a paragraph for ChatGPT, unlike my attempts at making my goblin character, who I got. <laughs> I, I, oh gosh, it, it, it made me so upset because I finally got it to really understand hey, I want, like, I want a goblin. But it gave me like a Tim Burton terrifying creature, like <laughs> hundreds of teeth. It's like okay, but that's clearly a creature. This is the first time that like it, it that's a thing. Someone could look at that and call it a goblin. It says okay, but what if it was a handsome goblin? Because that's his whole thing is that he's handsome. And it just gave me like green, uh, just a green dude. After that, I was like, <laughs> like come on, you know, like I was almost there. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'd push back on that. I think, yeah, if it was, if it's a book and it's all the text and you're just prompting something to, to feed you that text, yeah, I think I think you would need to do a disclosure or it has like its own little stamp. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that it's less, it's more, it's more ethically correct to be able to use a tool like ChatGPT to be able to write something. Um, because even though I'm sure that it has collected information from other people's written works, it has other knowledge that it's drawing from. One of the problems with image generation is the images and the, and the things that it's pulled off of, the artwork that it's used, that's all like work that someone else did, and they're never profiting from that. So, um, you know, that stuff is generally like, you can go in and say, hey, I want something like this particular artist, like say, um, I would like to have something that looks like a Salvador Dali painting. And if Salvador Dali was still a living artist, it's been trained off of his artwork and it is going to create a painting that looks much like what he has done. If you know how to ask it to like make it look a certain way, do certain things, it's going to, you know, tease out something that maybe has 10 fingers, but on one hand, uh, but still looks like something that Salvador Dali would have done. Where with something where you're saying, hey, I want you to write me a sci-fi story that's about a, you know, a dog named Cooper or something like that, right? And I want it to be in like a, a children's book form. There's just general knowledge about the guidelines for doing that that are open to just human humans to be able to use for like English, right? Um, that, I mean, that's why English classes exist. So that's not necessarily like copyrighted and based off of one person's body of work. It's based off like a whole like set of things. So I actually think it's less of an ethical conundrum to like sit down and be like, okay, this is, this is something where we could use this tool to do something uh, or generate something, you know, generate a blog article or generate some sort of written work, especially if it's like instructor instructions of some sort, then like documentation, right? Then something yeah. like, hey, make me a piece of artwork. Um, and, you know, the artist never gets any compensation that it's based off of. Uh, now, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, um, 
there's not, you know, some reason for artwork to be generated by AI or anything like that, not going down that path. That's a very complex thing. But I am just saying there is a much less ethically problematic, um, you know, situation there with written text than there is with like um, artwork that's generated by AI. Yeah, I think I think you're 100 right because I think my problem with when you say write a book, I'm envisioning like a fiction novel. At that right. point, once it becomes an artistic piece, it's like that doesn't feel right. As opposed to, as I said, hey, I'd love to use this for documentation because it's just saving right, me the exactly. TDM. And you know, and there's also yeah. the whole issue that like I think ChatGPT and especially Bing's search engine are really going to run into is that their model does not pay people for where the information comes, right? Right. So like, I got it to generate me a couple sugar-free barbecue recipes that it probably just scoured the internet and, you know, compiled a bunch of sugar-free barbecue recipes off of like recipe blogs. Okay, that's cool. But those recipe blogs did not get ad revenue from the websites we didn't go to. We didn't go to them. And so there does have to be a like responsibility of use because eventually what you can find yourself doing is if these really take off and nobody's going to go do regular searches anymore for trivial stuff, is trivial stuff will stop being profitable. And so people will stop yep. putting trivial stuff on the internet. And yep. then ChatGPT can't find that information anymore. It'll, it'll, you know, become, so there, it'll become walled content and then maybe it can search it but if it can search it then how did it get that content uh you know starts to be yeah, well, even outside the, the paywall because most like i would never go to a recipe blog and pay to view their content because you know they have the right model that like i'm there to get the information you can have the fraction of a penny for me being on your website and letting the pop-up show up you get enough field to do that that makes money for you but, you know, they're going to have to put some sort of model like that into, like, being search. That where right. the places it gets the correct information, they get some sort of compensation. Yeah, yeah. Because absolutely. if they don't, they'll eventually run out of content to index, you know? Yeah. And and that, that creates, like, a whole other set of, like, things, like the monetization of this and everything like that. Yeah, but how do you secure it, route, but, you know? Yeah, how exactly. do you stop some bot from doing 800 queries that point to its website of like, oh, can you tell me how to do this completely nonsensical statement? And when it finds yeah, it because I've made a website that. for that nonsensical thing, <laughs> you know, exactly. It's a whole can of worms. So for right now, what I'm enjoying it for is I can quickly do what it would have been a couple Google searches for light things. I'm really trying to play around with it to be more like a, hey, I've got half an hour, but I'm just going to be chilling in my bed before I go to sleep. Can I get this thing in a good mode to, like, play some sort of creativity of the mind game with it? Because that's what I used to love to do with whatever it was called, AI Dungeon AI or whatever, before yeah. that thing exploded. Because that was fun. Like, yeah. it wasn't great. I mean, it was not as good as ChatGPT is in terms of talking to you. Though it did have more training of like fantasy stuff because it was meant to be for right. like role playing, but like that's what I want back. That I can like check in 20 minutes, go talk about my fantasy thing, and really try and hold it together for me. Right. So, on a completely different note, but still technology related, um, 
let's talk about the year of the Steam Deck. Yeah. The Steam Deck's so, good, man. Yeah. yeah it, I think most of the people that, that have been on this, uh, listening to this podcast, or like for those that are tuning in, we both own a Steam Deck. And I think we both enjoy the Steam Deck, right? It is rare to see my wife play anything else. You, it yeah. has to not be available on PC for her to play a different console. If there's a PC version, she's playing. I mean, I've got my $2,000 gaming computer ready to play Cyberpunk at like highest settings, and she's playing it docked to the TV in, um, with the Steam Deck. Never right. even asked to play it on the, on the big PC. It's like, frankly, yeah. it doesn't look bad on the deck. I mean, even when upscaled to the TV, it still looked pretty good. It plays well. You know, we both played all of Hogwarts Legacy through it. You know, every little indie game we find, they're better compatible. We play them there. It's good. It has really nailed portable PC gaming. I think better than anything else has. I mean, it's certainly better than any gaming laptop that we've seen. You know, it's not as strong, yeah. but it's a better form factor. Well, it's, strength is, uh, is relative, right? If you're playing it in handheld mode, it is one of the best experiences you can get for handheld PC, um, you know, gaming. Now there are some more niche products that are out there, like the, um, you know, GPD wins and things like that. But the Steam Deck is really like an all-in-one package. You have the gaming, the storefront, the console-type experience. For all those mm -hmm. other things, are kind of like just a PC that has like a controller attached to it almost. Um, they're a little bit less of like an all-in-one package, even though they still leverage a lot of Steam's, um, you know, functionalities and things like that. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I think the Steam Deck really is, like you said, it just, it, it hits that perfect balance. And um, for anyone that doesn't use it in dock mode, which I, I enjoy, you know, plugging mine up and tinkering with it in dock mode, but where I want to play with it is when I'm sitting on the couch. My wife doesn't want to watch me play a, a video game on the big screen, and I don't want to sit there with a laptop in my lap and try to play a video game streamed from one of my PCs or something like that. But the Steam Deck, oh man, it is just such a good... It's like my big old hands just fit right there around the, the grips. It's just the right size for me to be able to do couch play and just really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's just the thing about it. Um, I don't know about portability. I haven't taken it on a trip yet. I've got, um, you know, a couple of trips that are coming up this year. I'm going to take my Steam Deck with me when I go on them and see if I like it versus like something like the Miu Mini or uh, the Ambernick RG35XX or something like that. But man, it can emulate everything up to like PS3. You got game streaming for Xbox, uh, xCloud, and, you know, the... Um, the PS4, PS Remote Play, and then you've got streaming from like your PC that you can do to it too. So even though it's a lower resolution screen, it like basically takes all of the functionality of everything that Steam's ever done. The 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 really good controller that they used to have uh, that they used to sell, the uh, Steam Link that they used to sell, all that stuff that has you know all these like great functions. And, and it's on sale. This is not a promotion. We're not getting paid by Steam to talk about it, but it's just on sale right now. The first time it's ever been like, you know, at a discounted price. Um, yeah, and it's already pretty affordable. So I almost bought a second one. 
I'm just going to be transparent. Yeah. <laughs> I almost bought a second one, um, but I haven't. Um, it's still on sale though, and I, I keep eyeing it. Like I sit here and I look at it. Uh, I don't know if I want to buy buy a second one. Venus will probably kill me for spending another six hundred dollars on on a a gadget. But oh man, it's such a good such a good device. I love it so much. So yeah. Um, that as you will i don't know is there anything I'm, I'm sitting here babbling on about is there anything else that you want to say about the steam deck no you just you just hit pretty much all the great points and i'll tell you we haven't taken like a long trip but my wife goes up to see one of her college friends every week or two she always brings the deck they play games with each other pass it back and forth so like it does it travels real well short distances i can tell you that because she used to instead yeah. like pack up a bunch of games you know put them in a bag see if the you know play them on their PlayStation or whatever. Not anymore. Just takes the deck along. Well, awesome then. So uh, this has been Season 6, Episode 1 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast. We have Twitters and Patreons and stuff like that. So if you guys want to give us any advice or thoughts or anything like that, you know, feel free to reach out to us through either of those platforms. Otherwise, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much.